Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh yeah, I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. London Visited podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, which is part one, we go to the most famous hotel in the world, the Ritz. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our London Visited YouTube channel to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. And now to this week's podcast. The Ritz London is a grade two listed five-star hotel located in Piccadilly in the centre of London. A symbol of high society and luxury, the hotel is one of the world's most prestigious and best-known hotels. It is a member of the International Consortium, the leading hotels of the world. Over the course of its history, the Ritz has become so associated with luxury and elegance that the word Ritzy has entered the English language to denote something that is ostentatiously stylish, fancy or fashionable. The hotel was opened by Swiss hotelier Caesar Ritz in May 1906, eight years after he established the Hotel Ritz Paris. After a weak beginning, the hotel began to gain popularity towards the end of World War I and became popular with politicians, socialites, writers and actors of the day in particular. David Lloyd George held a number of secret meetings at the Ritz during the latter half of the war and it was at the Ritz he made the decision to intervene on behalf of Greece against Turkey. Noel Coward was a notable diner at the Ritz in the 1920s and the 1930s. Owned by the Bracewell Smith family, for a period until 1976, the Elliman Group of Companies purchased the hotel for £80 million from Trafalgar House in October 1995. They spent eight years and £40 million restoring it to its former grandeur. In 2002, it became the first hotel to receive a royal warrant from the Prince of Wales for its banquet and catering services. The exterior is both structurally and visually Franco-American in style, with little trace of English architecture and is heavily influenced by the architectural traditions of Paris. At the corners of the pavilion rues on the Ritz are large green copper lions, the emblem of the hotel. The Ritz has 111 rooms and 25 suites. The Ritz Club, owned by the owners of the Ritz Hotel since 1998, is a casino in the basement of the hotel, occupying the space which was formerly the Ritz Bar and Grill. It offers roulette, blackjack, baccarat and poker, as well as some slot machines. The interior was designed by mainly London and Paris-based designers in the Louis XVI style, which is consistent throughout. Arthur Marcus Binley describes the great suite of ground-floor rooms as one of the all-time masterpieces of hotel architecture and compares it to a royal palace with its grand vistas, lofty proportions and sparkling chandeliers. The Ritz's most widely known facility is the Palm Court, which hosts the famous Tea at the Ritz. 
It is an opulently decorated cream-coloured Louis XVI setting with panelled mirrors in gilt bronze frames. The hotel has six private dining rooms, the Marie Antoinette suite and the rooms within the Grade II listed William at Kent House. The Rivoli Bar, based in the Art Deco style, was designed in 2001 by an interior designer to resemble the bar on the Orient Express. The Swiss hotelier Cesar Ritz, the former manager of the old Savoy Hotel, opened the hotel on the 25th of May 1906. It was built on the site which had been the old white horse cellar, which by 1805 was one of the best known coaching inns in England. The financial backers of the Ritz felt that they had secured one of the most prime sites in London for their project. They began negotiations in 1901 and completed the transactions for the simultaneous purchase of the leasehold for the Walsingham House Hotel and the adjacent freehold estate of the Bath Hotel for £250,000 in 1902. Demolition of both hotels began in 1904. The building is neoclassical in the Louis XVI manner, built to resemble a stylish Parisian block of flats over arcades that consciously evoke the Rue de Rivoli. Its architects had previously designed the Ritz's Hotel Ritz in Paris. It was one of the earliest substantial steel frame structures in London, the Savoy Hotel extension of 1903-1904 being the first in the capital. Many of the materials used in the construction of the hotel were US made. The initial fees for suites ranged from one and a half guineas to three and a half guineas. After opening, a long-running feud between the hotel and Lord Wimborne, a steel magnate who lived next door at Wimborne House, lasted for years in a dispute over land. A number of the locals were also concerned about the building and the impact it would have on their health. While the Ritz was still under construction, a series of events highlighted the need for another luxury hotel in London. A 3rd of June 1905 Daily Mail news article reported that it was both Derby Week and the height of the tourist season, making hotel accommodation almost impossible to find. The Savoy had to refuse reservations, while Buckingham Palace turned offices into makeshift hotel rooms for visitors. An estimated 2,500 more persons needing rooms were expected shortly with the coming visit of the King of Spain. Though the opening of the Savoy had brought about a marked change in how hotels provided services to its guests, the Ritz was determined that its London hotel would surpass its competitor in their delivery. The Ritz installed two large lead-lined tanks on its roof to provide a steady stream of hot and cold water. The hotel's bathrooms were all spacious, with each having its own heated towel rail. Every bedroom in the hotel was provided with its own working fireplace. The Ritz shunned free-standing wardrobes due to the fear of dust settling on them. Instead, he built cupboards in the rooms with doors matching the panelling. Ritz's ideas of cleanliness and hygiene prompted him to originally have all bedrooms painted in white and all beds made of brass, not wood, for the same reason. Anything new or potentially useful was available to the guests of the Ritz. Caesar Ritz's health had declined after his 1902 collapse at the Carlton but he was feeling well enough to assume an active role in the plans for the hotel's opening dinner on the 24th of May 1906. Unlike the opening of the Paris Ritz, which had catered to society, most of those invited to the Ritz in London were members of the national and international press. Major newspapers such as the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror and the Daily Telegraph were invited to the dinner along with newspapers which included the Berliner Tagblatt, the Sydney Morning Herald and the New York Times. Ritz's guest list also included the engineer and architects of the structure, along with key staff members of the new hotel and their wives.
The hotel was not immensely profitable in its opening years. Smaller than many of the new hotels springing up in that period, it was not fashionable initially, and it was resented by many of London elite who considered it vulgar. It took £3,628 in 1908, over £1,000 less than the previous year, and the hotel lost over £50,000 between the 15th of May 1906 and the 31st of July 1908, which led to the replacement of the manager, Els, with Theodore Kroll and the appointment of Charles Van Glitzen as the manager of the restaurant. The hotel also suffered a blow upon the death of King Edward in 1910, when 38 planned dinners and functions were cancelled, but began to prosper the following year, made fashionable by the Prince of Wales, who regularly dined here. King Edward was particularly fond of the cakes made at the Ritz. The hotel would regularly send him a supply, but this was kept in confidence as the king's chef may not have wanted it known that food he did not prepare was served at Buckingham Palace. Ritz retained control of much of the hotel's operation for many years. He hired world-famous chefs to provide cuisine to match the opulence of the hotel's decorations. He placed a special bell in the entryway by which the doorman could notify the staff of the impending arrival of royalty. By 1929, the hotel was still being praised for its architecture. Professor Charles Riley wrote about the Ritz in Building Magazine in 1929, calling it the finest modern structure in the street, with an elegance of general form. On the 4th of August 1914, Lady Diana Cooper, future husband, Duff Cooper, then a Foreign Office official, dined at the Ritz with the Earl of Essex and his American wife, Adele Capel, and Patrick Shaw Stewart, and later that day announced that World War I had broken out to the party. Before the war began, the German and Austrian embassies both retained tables at the Ritz restaurant. The hotel suffered during the war and lost nearly £50,000 in 1915 alone. The ballroom was unusually empty and lights went out by 10pm, but rooms were still in demand, with the hoteliers believing it'd be worth keeping them open. In September 1917, a shell exploded in Green Park, in close proximity to the Ritz, and according to Lord Ivor Churchill, it broke all the windows adjacent to Wimborne House. David Lloyd George, held a number of secret meetings at the Ritz during the latter half of the war, organised by Sir Basil Zeroff, and it was at the Ritz that he made the decision to intervene on behalf of Greece against Turkey. The Duke of Marlborough recorded dining at the Ritz. I lunched at the Ritz. The whole social world goes there, prices being cheap, all women there from M. Paget to the latest tart. When asked to summarise hotels in London in the early 1920s, Barbara Cartland remarked that the Ritz stood for stuffiness and standards. The Carlton was for businessmen, the Savoy was rather fast, some other ones were frankly scandalous, and the Barclay, where you could dance all night for 10 shillings, was for the young. In 1921, Bonvin, the manager of the Ritz, died and was replaced with J.S. Waters. Waters was a tireless salesman in promoting the hotel, especially in mainland Europe, and flaunted the hotel in the Tatler at the time, when it was unpopular to do so. Louis Mountbatten, 1st Earl Mountbatten of Burma frequented the Ritz from his time as a sub-lieutenant onwards. When his friend Charlie Chaplin arrived in London in September 1921, after a nine-year absence, great crowds gathered at Waterloo Station, and Chaplin had to be ushered to the hotel by some 40 policemen. He stayed in the first-floor Regal Suite and was photographed throwing carnations to his fans from the Arlington Street balcony. The Ritz became popular with film stars and executives when staying in London although the hotel has kept most of the names of many of its luminaries a secret in its records. 
Douglas Fairbanks was known though to frequent the Ritz in the 1920s. Noel Coward, also a regular diner at the Ritz in the 1920s and the 30s, met with Michael Arlen in the restaurant in 1924 to discuss the urgent problem of generating the funding for his new play, The Vortex. Arlen gave Coward a check for $250 without question, and The Vortex would go on to be his first major success. Coward's song, Children of the Ritz, which he featured in the 1932 review, Words and Music, was penned while Coward was lunching at the Ritz with Beverly Nichols. Numerous authors began to meet at the Ritz during the same period, and it began to creep into literature itself. In Michael Arlen's 1922 novel, Piracy, the hotel was described as a very stout and solid building in the manner of an old Bastille, originally conceived, no doubt, with a fearful eye on class prejudice. And R. Fairbank had a running gag in his novels about there being fleas in the Ritz. Later, the hotel appears in Anthony Powell's A Dance to the Music of Time. The narrator Nicholas Jenkins meets poet Mark Members at the Ritz, and the golden nymph at the palm court of the hotel is mentioned. It had a special atmosphere about it, and the palm court was always filled before luncheon with social beauties, debutantes and their boyfriends, and famous actors and actresses, though the latter seldom seemed to actually lunch there. Bejeweled American ladies used to parade up and down the corridor awaiting their guests. The Ritz was more like a club than a hotel. You were bound to see your friends there. To meet at the Ritz was the obvious choice. It had a combination of elegance and coziness. The Ritz had an essentially happy atmosphere, which radiated from the staff. All the waiters knew everybody and became personal friends. The Ritz in those days had a courtesy and elegance unlike any other hotels. It was thought of as home in a sense that you never applied to anywhere else. Sir Michael Duff, third baronet on life at the Ritz as a young man in the 1930s. William Brownlow, third Baron Lugan, who succeeded Harry Higgins as chairman of the Ritz upon his death in 1928, was especially keen on attracting American guests to the hotel. He was a close friend of the Earl of Carnarvon and his American wife, Catherine Wendell, and at times the couple were freely given the entire second floor of the hotel to accommodate guests. Upon the death of Lord Lurgan in 1939, Carnarvon was told that he had to begin paying for his staying at the hotel, but was given a slight reduction for old time's sake. Carnarvon later remarked, The Ritz has been my London home for over 50 years. I'm very fond of the place. Nobody knows it better. In 1931, the Aga Khan was involved with organising the Round Table Conference at the hotel, which was attended by Mahatma Gandhi and many others. On one occasion, the Aga Khan took over the Palm Court to hold a meeting with his followers. In the 1930s, Eletto became the restaurant manager of the Ritz, a popular and much mimicked character, according to Montgomery Massingbird and Watkin. The future Edward VII and his associates were often seen at the Ritz in the 1930s. In 1932, the Evening Standard observed the Prince performing on the dance floor. The Prince of Wales never misses an opportunity to raise the stand of his dancing. He danced three tangos, each of which lasted about 35 minutes. In 1934, Edward's brother, the Duke of Kent, married Princess Marino of Greece and Denmark at the Ritz, and scaffolding was put up in the garden for the celebration. The Queen Mother would also attend the private parties at the Ritz during this period, as did King Boris of Bulgaria and Queen Marie of Romania. At one point, the Ritz hosted four reigning monarchs simultaneously, King Boris, King Farouk of Egypt, Spain's King Alfonso, and Queen Wilhammer of the Netherlands. 
after a romance of Edward VII and Wallace Simpson became public knowledge, both parties could be found at separate tables near the restaurant's door, in case a speedy exit was necessary. The Ritz suffered from the effects of the general strike of 1926, subsequently seeing competition from the likes of the Dorchester Hotel and the Grosvenor House. The Great Depression brought a sharp decline in business to the hotel, and in the summer of 1931, staff wages were reduced. The chefs, kitchen workers and the directors had a 25% cut in their wages. To increase earnings, in 1935, Fred Cavendish Bentick recommended that the hotel commence putting on a cabaret show. Advertised in the Evening Standard, the programme was an immediate success. In January 1936, Austrian comic Vic Oliver was one of the entertainers hired to perform at the hotel for two weeks, and Cyril Fletcher appeared in the show for a month the following year. The BBC began broadcasting live performances from the restaurant of the hotel, with pianist Billy Milton and others. It was through the show that the Ivan Berlin song, Putting on the Ritz, grew in popularity, performed by J.K.'s dance band. During World War II, the Ritz became integral to political and social life among the elite, and a number of eminent royals, aristocrats and politicians moved into the hotel. Camilla Russell, the wife and writer of Christopher Sykes, stated that the Ritz enjoyed a tremendous vogue during the war and was, even more than ever, much used as a meeting place and at night was crowded yet somehow safe. Angela, Countess of Antrim, Sykes' wife, remarked that the Ritz was an ideal meeting place for gathering news of husbands at the wars. Emerald Cunard took up residence in the Ritz for a period, but later moved to the Dorchester. In the summer of 1940, the Albanian royal family, including the king, queen, crown prince, and the king's six sisters, two nieces, three nephews, and others moved into the hotel, and were given their own floor. Escorted by a chamberlain, the Albanian diplomats from Paris and numerous bodyguards. The king brought the royal gold and jewels with him, which were kept in the storeroom of the Ritz before being deposited at the Bank of England. Due to the king's concerns about the safety of during air raids, the ladies' cloakroom was converted into a private shelter for the Albanians. Following an air raid, when a bomb fell between the Ritz and the Barclay in Piccadilly, shattering glass in the Ritz, most of the Albanian royal family moved to Chelsea, but the king remained until the spring of 1941, until he was offered Lord Palmer's house in Buckinghamshire. In total, the Ritz was damaged nine times during bombing raids, and the restaurant had to be closed twice. In 1942, Winston Churchill, Dwight Eisenhower and Charles de Gaulle met at the Marie Antoinette suite of the hotel to discuss operations. Brendan Bracken, who served as an observer and a mouthpiece on political society in London, and Anglo-American politician Ronald Tree spent much time at the Ritz, and Tree lived there during the winter of 1940. According to Alistair Forbes and Felix Hope Nicholson, during World War II, the basement bar at the Ritz was reserved for gay and lesbian guests, while the one upstairs was for heterosexual guests. Hope Nicholson described it as notoriously queer and stated that the Ritz bar became too chic, too popular, and above all, too queer for the authorities. The hotel was owned for some 30 years by the Bracewell-Smith family, who had significant stakes in the nearby Park Lane Hotel. Although the family were quick to earn a profit from the hotel, there was a turbulent period in the years after World War II, with a workers' strike in 1946, and the restaurant attracting significant criticism for its quality of cuisine. On one occasion, a group of patrons at the Ritz, known as the Friends of the Ritz, met with Sir Bracewell-Smith in Park Lane Hotel to complain about the standards. 
Smith himself dined at the Ritz and informed them that it was quite satisfactory. Several suicides also darkened the reputation of the Ritz in the post-war years, including that of horse trainer Peter Beatty from the sixth floor window in October 1949, and that of French gangster Baron Pierre de Latour, who strangled love interest Eileen Hill to death in his second floor room in March 1953, when she refused to marry him before killing himself by stuffing a silk sock down his throat. Nonetheless, the Ritz continued to be a social hub for the aristocracy and attract the world's elite in the 1950s. It was very popular with the wealthy family of the Aga Khan and oil magnate J. Paul Getty. Reputedly the richest man in the world at the time, he lived at the Ritz after the war. On one occasion, a photographer working for Time and Life magazines staged an incident outside the hotel by arranging for the Barrow Boy to pour coppers onto the pavement as Getty emerged from the hotel and photographed just as he went to pick them up. Film stars Rita Hayworth and Tallulah Bankhead were regular guests at the hotel. Hayworth was married to Prince Eilir Khan between 1949 and 1953. In January 1959, the Prime Minister of Congo stayed at the hotel and met with a Ghanaian High Commissioner in London and others in the restaurant. The event was picketed by Mosleyites, who, in conjunction with human rights issues in Congo at the time, demonstrated outside the hotel, displaying banners such as, Rapers of Children, Go Home, and issuing racial epithets. The Ghanaian High Commissioner was attacked as he left the hotel, although it has been said that he was mistaken for the Prime Minister of Congo. So, I hope you've enjoyed our first part of our look at the Ritz in London. Come back next week and we'll have part two for you, where we look into its more later history and how the Ritz is now. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, let me know through our website, www.londonvisited.co.uk. It really is that easy and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our podcast and we'll see you soon for part two. Bye. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, ziplining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org.